0: Thanks, everybody, for coming and uh, listening to another episode of the Texas Signal, Signal Cast. We have a very special guest today, uh, sort of old political friend here in Austin, Genevieve Van Cleve. She is working with uh, All on the Line, the major redistricting organization, a national organization that was initially started by uh, Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, Obama's Attorney General, right? Uh, once he left office, I believe this was his project
1: That's right. They, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, they both, they both spent a lot of time thinking about what to do after the election or after the end of their term. And, um, and chairman Holder, um, understood like many, many people do that the way these lines are drawn, the way that the census data is used, um, kind of fit hand in glove with, with, Voting rights and other democracy issues. Um, what I can tell you in Texas, not just as a long-time Texas political person, but but just as as somebody that that works in this space, is it's the worst it's ever been. And and I think we you know we say that a lot down here, but but it truly is. It truly is remarkable that um, that they are spent i mean that that our republican friends across the aisle are spending an awful lot of time um, and political capital on reducing the number of people able to vote including i would i would suggest their own uh party members um a lot of what people don't get although representative lyle larson seems to understand this is that some of the provisions particularly in, in uh hb6 um, An HB 7 that curtail people's ability to vote by mail and, and people's abil- ability to vote early um, and uh, for the disabled community to vote without, you know, I guess a, a letter from the Social Security Department and their doctor um, is that that's how a lot of Republicans vote, right? So these bills have gone so far as to cut in to their own base. So, it seems to me like uh, the label of election integrity is really uh, a misapplication of those words. Um, what they're doing is consolidating power um, and power for a particular type of Republican, right? More like your, your Dan Patrick's, your Governor Abbott's of the world, as opposed to just a rank and file Republican member in a rural area. And I, look, I think we can expect the same type of behavior in the redistricting process in Texas. Um, you know, I, I think as you probably know, Joe, but your, your viewers may not, or your listeners may not know, um, is that the census has not been returned to the states yet. And the census is intimately connected with redistricting because every 10 years, The U.S. Constitution says that we have to do a census and that we have to reapportion um, congressional seats and redraw state House and Senate seats based on who has moved. Right. Who lives where in the country? So if you strip away all of the things that we know bad and good about redistricting, the essential process is to make sure that government is responsive to the people that live here, right? So Texas has experienced enormous growth in the last 10 years. In fact, I think over 55% of it has been from the Latino community alone. The other thing to note about Texas and and growth patterns in the last 10 years is like 86% of the population of this state lives between um, kind of the triangle uh, that starts way up in in, uh, Denton and Collin, goes through Dallas and Fort Worth, goes down through Colleen and Waco, goes down through Austin, down through San Antonio, down through Houston, all the way to Laredo. So that triangle kind of that is bookended by I-35 and I-45 is where over 86% of the population lives. And so as we get this census data back in and as our representatives begin to look at how districts need to be drawn, um, they have to account for that amazing growth and where we live, regardless of party, regardless of any other metric, it has to be responsive to where people live. So, um, I mean, I guess the other thing to add here that's, that's, oh, my watch is talking to me. My husband bought <laughs> me this fancy watch for Christmas, and sometimes it tells me to stand up and breathe. I, I've never <laughs> had a watch talk to me so much in my life, but anyway. Um, So let's talk about apportionment. So that's the first set of data that Texas is going to get based on the census. Mm -hmm. And what that tells not just Texas, but every state in the union is how many members of Congress they will be allocated. Now, you should know that the Texas legislature didn't spend a dime on the census where places like California, Ohio, invested a lot of money in complete counts. Texas was left to its own devices, which means that churches and C3 groups and foundations uh, really were the backbone of that effort. Ordinarily, the way the census works um, is that everybody from chambers of commerce, right, to, um, to little bitty old churches want a complete count. One, because it's patriotic to see who lives in your community, and two, there's about 134 federal um, federal sources of money and projects that have no strings attached to them. They are simply based on population growth. Having said all of that, we're fixing to figure out at the end of April, um, how many more um, congressional members of Congress, Texas will be allocated. Now, if the census, the, the, what we keep hearing is it's going to be between two and three because we've grown that much. And so where you would likely expect for additional seats to be allocated are places where you've seen the most growth. The Dallas suburbs are a good yeah. candidate for that growth. Um, same with the Houston suburbs, kind of on the Western side where Fort Bend is <coughs> another excellent candidate for another seat. And frankly, Travis County is 1.4 million people people in it although we do currently have six members of congress um
0: that representation that's
1: no i know i mean all these fancy tech people are moving here assuming that they're moving to you know the most liberal spot in texas and then they come to find out that because of gerrymandering there's only one democratic congressional member that represents travis county and that of course is everybody's favorite congressman lloyd Doggett. so there's a lot to talk about joe I'm a fire hose of information, so I'll stop here and see what questions I can answer for uh, that your listeners uh, would be interested in or or what you'd like me to cover.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these things are all connected, you know, where you started with these uh, these bills, the voter suppression bills. We actually see today the house bill hb6 was moved out of committee and sent to the full house so surely there'll be continued debate the thing that this disappointed me the most is that everybody seems to be concentrating on georgia when we're seeing the exact same thing in texas and there's actually more at stake i mean i know that god bless georgia like um you know they gave us two senators they gave us the senate they gave us president biden i mean they've done so much work to immediately now be in the crosshairs of you know republicans and now losing businesses and jobs over the decision of their legislature which doesn't even represent the people of the state so it's a very it's an awful situation i mean my preference would be that instead of punishing georgia voters whether it be by the the legislature or by businesses trying to send a message we need to take that focus to the national republican party because this isn't georgia focused this is focused all over the country and we're seeing it in texas and it's very much connected to the redistricting effort because it's just another tactic to uh, choose the voters as you said that they want to vote and that they want to focus on and leave out other people or in this case not even count them at all Um, And so I think, you know, one of the questions, because you mentioned the delays that are in place and that is going to we're going to see sort of the effects of that from this session and how that plays out. But I'm kind of curious about your perspective on what caused the delays. Uh, Was it, you know, not just the fact that we put so little effort into counting people, but Trump? was consistently trying to meddle with the census and who we count uh do certain people count do immigrants count or undocumented people count Uh, or was it the pandemic or was it sort of a a mix of both that kind of slowed this process down Mm
1: -hmm. well you know i think the pandemic you, you have to like you have to uh bow down to the natural world here um and it made it significantly harder harder for any state whether they invested in a complete count or not um to simply go through the motions of getting um the census done and then you know you mentioned the previous administration um yeah i mean from from day one they had of that administration they were looking for ways to um to uh marginalize um or make make even more uh or disrespect people based on their immigration status the color of their skin the language they speak and one and the one of the affiliates of the national democratic redistricting committee like i'm the all on the line i'm the c4 people person but one of the affiliates of the ndrc is the national redistricting foundation and they were very involved in that in the litigation around the census and in fact were very involved in the case that um removed the citizen quest citizenship question that the previous administration had had requested to be put into the census right it makes no sense not to count everybody that's here regardless of status because well, let me just say, Joe. Did you know that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem <laughs>
0: for to be senses. counted
1: in the census? So, I mean, if mother and father of our Lord and Savior could be counted in a in a in a barn, then then it's very <laughs> like if you're looking for intent. Uh, let's go back to the Romans. Like you, you do a complete count because you need to understand um, the different resources required by a community, regardless of what papers a particular person holds. And so, you know, our the affiliate was very, very much a part of that. What we understand at this point is that Texas will receive apportionment numbers probably at the end of April, so coming up here pretty quick. Finally, the twenty-four million-dollar question will be answered: How many congress members of new members of Congress are we going to get? Because there's just been so much growth that even a poor census would, or you know, a poor. Uh, process would, there's just been so many people that have moved here, it would be hard not to count yeah. that or recognize that growth. So yeah. that is probably gonna happen at the end of April. And All on the Line is gonna be doing a national day to sort of uplift um, a, apportionment day. And, and I'll get back to you with details about stuff we might be doing in Texas. Now, for, for the actual redistricting drawing of, of lines for state house maps, Senate maps and congressional maps, it's a real question as to when that happens. The census data is likely to be given to the states in some form or the other by the end, in between the end of August and the end of September. Now, filing deadline in Texas, as you know, is early in December. I always get the date wrong, but it's essentially like somewhere between the 7th the 10th, or the 13th of December. That's when Mm -hmm. candidates that want to run in 2022 have to file to say they're going to run. Uh So there's some real time pressure and real questions about how, because of the late date of this this data coming to us, we are going to be able to um, finish this process or get started in this process. The thing to know is you can't run an election using an old map because it would be malapportioned, meaning that right. some districts would have too many people, some districts would have too few people. Um, it's time to redistrict, that's why. And also it would violate the idea of one person, one vote. If you live in an overpopulated district, your vote does not count as much as a neighboring district with much many fewer people, right? It's washed out. So we have to get this done and whether it's the courts that end up doing an interim map whether the legislature comes back for special sessions right around the holidays or this summer they're going to have to act in a very short period of time so the story of redistricting in Texas will not just be in the courts this time it will also be affected by just the just the delay in the census
0: yeah i mean that's <clears throat> That's that's super interesting because, you know, we're seeing a lot of fights happen right now internally and even in the within the Republican Party. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, how, how this is all going to end up shaking out. But, you know, it's interesting to hear you say about apportionment. And that's kind of the next big um, sort of thing that's going to happen here. Um, but so so much of the time republicans and especially this governor spend talking about you know how many people are moving to texas from california and then you know for business purposes and to make them look good but then they don't want to actually count the people when they when they come here because they might be voting democrat so Um, you know, I think that, that was just to watch this happen is unbelievable. I remember at one point we were talking about potentially four, you're saying it's most likely now between two and three. And I'm wondering how much that has to do with the fact that there was so much resistance, uh, for counting, for counting people that, that we're, it's kind of out of the question that we, you know,
1: that's right. And, and as I mentioned before, the normal process, the process that many of us are accustomed to in the census is it's a very bipartisan activity. People that are, I mean, there's a whole community of people that are just like, their lives are dedicated to the census as volunteers, as, um, you know, temporary workers, as people that work for the actual commerce department, the census bureau. And in, in my recollection, I'm telling you, everybody wanted a good census count because look, we're talking about new roads, money for transportation, money for victim services, money for schools, money for food for people that are going hungry. There's a million different things that that states receive if they do the census well. So the Republicans in the Texas legislature and the statewide Republican leadership, I find it kind of baffling as to why they wouldn't look, if you're a politician and Joe, you know this, right? Like your job is to get more money and more power for your state, kind of no matter what party you're in. And um, it seems odd to me that that the Republican leaders of this state and in, in the legislature would pass up an opportunity to maximize the federal dollars that come to our state and the number of members of Congress that we have. I don't really get that. The only the only explanation I've come up with, um, and I think it's shared by some, maybe not all, is that is that where we are in Texas, where this GOP is in Texas and probably many places in the in the country is it's they're they're consolidating power. They are not governing their interest is no longer in governing. And there's plenty of examples. Um, The number of people who died in the winter storm recently, the number of people still suffering in places um, that were affected by Harvey, the number of people that have not fully recovered either um, physically or economically from COVID. These are all the types of problems that government, regardless of party, you would expect to see a tremendous amount of good communication and leadership. We've seen none. I mean, so they've given up. They've given up on the idea of governing, yeah. that their point of view is valid. What they are doing is taking power and holding on to it. I mean, when you see this the lieutenant governor of Texas tell off corporate America which is what happened yesterday in a press conference that Lieutenant Governor Patrick gave, you really got to wonder, right? And the way I see it is like, well, At least, you know, he's reaching out to corporate leaders in Texas and other parts of the country to insult them personally. Right. Yeah. The rest of us have to go to the Capitol and wait 12 or 14 hours to be insulted by Republicans in in state (laughs) office at a hearing. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I saw that on enough channels to make it hard to believe there's any kind of um, censorship of conservatives right now. But I mean, the simple fact is it's what you said I mean, the power is really what it's about. the loyalty is to the national party. it's not to the state of Texas or their voters and that's pretty clear. I mean they said the corporate America, you know, keep your mouth shut but keep the money coming and um, you know what was it uh the uh, Senate leader Mitch McConnell basically said the exact same thing. So it's very clear that this line is not, Uh, This is a through line for the GOP nationally. Corporations should not be involved in politics. That's what uh, Governor Abbott also said. But I will still take those campaign checks. Uh, So they're okay with the money if it goes to their campaign. But let's talk about all the money that they have left on the table because it didn't fit some type of narrative they were pushing. Uh, I understand right now there's $19 billion in federal stimulus money for Texas public schools that that. The government is still sitting on has not been allocated there's, there's a other,
1: lot of there's a lot of money for covid relief yes for covid
0: relief,
1: um for I mean, schools that has simply not materialized and and my question would be really to anyone elected where did the money go because that's not private money that's right. our money that's money sent to us to relieve the suffering of everyday texans and if Look, if you can't keep the lights on during a storm, and you don't know how to cash a check from the federal government to help your own people, I don't know why you show up. Um, I don't know why you show up at the Capitol every day, because those two basic things. Look, what are what is anybody in public office for? Presumably to do the public good, right? Like that is the the point of the exercise. Yeah. And it's simply not what we're seeing. And Joe, I mean, before we get too far down the line, I would like to point out a couple of different bills where there are power grabs that are redistricting related. Yeah. That people do not know about. OK. Um, and I think it's important that they know. And so these bills are in the weeds a little bit. But your listeners need to understand that the power grab is not just going on with voting. Um, there's a bill, Senate Bill 11, that redraws appellate courts in Texas. And let me tell you why that's important. Appellate districts in Texas, the appellate courts deal with both civil and criminal matters, and they're the intermediate court between district judges and the Texas Supreme Court. Well, and just look, first of all, and it's a good preview for what's going to happen in redistricting, too, <laughs> because... The bill went through, uh, juris- went through jurisprudence, uh, that's Senator Huffman's committee. Um, none of us saw the map or the committee substitute. All we saw was a shell bill until the night before. And frankly, most of us that do this kind of work got it from friends in the Capitol. It was not sent out to the public. It was not, nobody got on television and said, hey, we really need to do this. The, the appellate courts need our help. No. And appellate redistricting is actually not connected to the census. It's connected to court administration issues. So the map they came up with proposes consolidating 14 existent appellate court districts into seven. Um, And this is being done under the guise of efficiency, but the proposed maps manufacture a Republican majority on appellate courts largely at the expense of Black and Brown Texas. So, so if these appellate court changes are made, remember all of the judges that have been elected recently in Texas, many of whom are women of color from Harris County. Yeah, that
0: was a big story. That was a really right? big story. Remember
1: that? And, and in the third court of appeals, which is, which is basically centered around Austin, all of a sudden the bench of that court had more Democrats than Republicans. And it's like a miracle. All of a sudden, we need to totally change the way we do appellate courts. And I don't buy that it's for administration. I buy just like I, just like I walked you through the census example, walking you through the redistricting example, the voting example. There's nothing. There's there's no reason to do this. And and here's what's funny. You know who went and came out and testified against this bill? Judges. It, it wasn't people in T-shirts. I can assure you, I was in that hallway. I was the only person with the T-shirt. Everybody else had a suit on. And that's always dangerous in the Capitol. When you see a bunch of suits outside of a committee room, yeah. you know that democracy is not necessarily being um, well represented. But I have to say, um, Look, Justice Aaron Knoll from the Fifth District Court of Appeals, one of the most conservative courts of appeals in the country. said so the proposed maps are going to significantly dilute the voting strength of communities of colors. It, it would make it such that the virtually guarantee the number of justices of color that are on the bench right now would lose in the next election. That's not some activist. That's not some wily teen out to make a point. That's a sitting judge. Yeah. Um, that a
0: Republican, has, yes.
1: Yeah, and that should turn our heads around. These These maps were drawn in secret without any opportunity for public input or scrutiny, and that is not how this process is supposed to work. I bring this up because it is very rare that A, Republican judges... Come out so strongly against a bill and b this is a unique set of circumstances because our rural brothers and sisters here's the other problem with this bill all those republican judges are going to be from urban areas you're not our rural brothers and sisters are not going to have the representation they should for their own communities so whether you live in a city or whether, whether you live in Loving County with 126 souls that live there, um, this bill, the way it redraws these courts is going to ensure that all of us, all of us voters are not going to be choosing judges of, from our own communities. We are not going to be um, in charge of our democracy. This bill is likely to pass the Senate. It's likely to pass the Senate either tomorrow or next week, and it's headed for the House. So, Joe, I want to make sure to tell you and your listeners that I will be communicating with you on actions that people can take, uh, whether you live in a rural area or whether you live in downtown Austin, Dallas, Waco, wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure and kill this bill.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's so important that people outside of urban areas understand what's actually happening and how it affects them. Because from a political perspective, the lines have been drawn as urban, bad, rural, conservative, good. And that's kind of where the new battle lines have been drawn politically. But It is bad. Uh, The representation taking away will hurt everyone, as you mentioned, but we're seeing it in other things like the rural hospitals going away and and school districts being underfunded in the rural area just to own the libs or what? Like what 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 is the end goal? Right. And, And it's what you said before. It's to consolidate power, because as Texas grows. Uh, Our culture is changing a little bit, and that is going to show up in the electorate, and they don't like that. So, um, and the philosophy of the Republican Party is quite open, and they're straightforward about it, less government. Um, And in exchange uh, for us, you hiring us to dismantle this government, we'll give you a tax cut that's really, that's the deal they offer people. And in exchange, they will take away their rights, take away their rights to vote, take away their access to the courts. And all of this just in exchange for what amounts to pocket change for the average Texan. And it's just not a good deal.
1: That's right. Yeah, I I mean, think about trying to be a student in a rural area right now. We don't have statewide broadband. So if you're trying to get ahead, learn a new skill, finish high school, finish college, and you live outside of a major city, you probably don't have the broadband you need to do that. I don't see how this consolidation of power is actually serving those students well. Um, I wanna point out one more bill uh, that that is not redistricting related, but it definitely is a consolidation of power I'm calling it the rubber stamp Paxton court bill. Because remember how I talked about that third court of appeals and how the balance of power had changed? Well, the third court of appeals, because they're based in Austin, here's a lot of state agency cases. So when you think about um, how foster kids are treated and the agency that deals with that, when you think about education funding, for all Texans, regardless of where they live. And when you think of anything with Ken Paxton's name on it, it usually goes to the Third Court of Appeals. Well, that's just not working out for them. So they've created, in SB 1529, they want to create an entirely new court with five justices elected statewide that will deal with with, with state matters agency matters now why are we doing that how much is that going you know, cost political right?
0: matters essentially right that's Correct. what it comes down to
1: so it's a rubber stamp court and yeah. you know if if you are a foster child languishing in that system and and are hoping that the courts follow through on their promise to make sure that you are treated humanely mm-hmm. you're going to have to go to to some some essentially made-up court yeah. um with five statewide elected judges to to hear what's happening to you and your fellow kids.
0: So I actually watched part of the hearing and I didn't I kind of jumped in the middle of it. So you you basically connected all the dots for me. I, I was listening to the testimony and they were kind of saying basically like, well, and you know how how they talk. Uh, sometimes in riddles, and, and they don't speak directly, but they were basically saying that there's unintended consequences that could happen by creating new courts and new types of courts and things like that. Um, <clears throat> and of course, those what we might consider unintended are quite intended sometimes. Um, but let's stick with the court theme. So when redistricting happens, and as has been done many times in Texas, uh, folks get sued because these maps show clear racial bias. Walk us through the court process. Uh, what's the first court uh, that that the suit comes up in and where does it go from there? And kind of how does well, it-
1: Well, I mean, look, so I have the kind of legal training that one receives it. Pflugerville Independent School District. So I want to be real clear that I'm not a lawyer. Um, so so don't hold me to account here. This is what I, I understand, but but I would I would certainly defer to people with the appropriate training to to give a full mm-hmm. um, explanation of this. And and just a fun fact for those listening there hasn't been one redistricting map passed by texas since the voting rights act was passed in 1965 that was not found to racially discriminate against oh. black people so we haven't done this right one time since that that um, amazing legislation was passed during the johnson administration um texas wow. continues to um well, here's here's how I like to think about it, and and it it actually wraps Georgia and some other states into the same sort of uh, situation, and and that's this: where you see states with high levels of voter suppression bills or voter suppression in this initiatives, you also will see they go hand in glove, very gerrymandered districts at the congressional and state level. It just they go hand in hand because they're. You know, they are a tool used by politicians to uh, ensure that they are not don't have to be responsive to the people. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what you could land in any number of courts, depending on who's the person doing the suit. But what I will tell your listeners, what, what I think it's important for your listeners to know is this. When groups like All on the Line or the League of Women Voters or Common Cause or any of the other great people that work on democracy issues ask you to testify, it's not just out of the goodness of your heart. It's also you telling your informed truth about how these bills impact you, whether it's how your district's being drawn what how you'll be able to vote what court you will be able to have access to as a voter we need to know how you feel about those bills we need to know your testimony because courts look at that testimony right so even if you're in a hearing in the capitol for hours and and you know people are for you know both good and bad reasons, like not paying attention to the people testifying, that is recorded and you are part of the public record. And that record is looked at not just by legislators or voters, but it's also looked at by judges and juries. So there is, you know, there are a lot of hoops to jump through oftentimes to make your voices heard. But I recommend if you can getting with one of these groups or doing the research to show up and testify, testify virtually, submit your written testimony. It will be used later. So your voice at the moment does not feel like you're stopping the train, but you may be the person that stops the train by your participation.
0: So what kind of, uh, you mentioned before, you're going to be following up with things that folks can do. What, what are some of the type of activities other than, you know, testifying at court uh, or excuse me. Um, in it, the yeah. at the, These committee hearings. What, what other types of things that are you in your view are most effective?
1: Okay. So there is a range of activity that is needed. Um, we haven't talked at all about S1 and HR1 the for the people act Um, i have some very easy advocacy tools that i can send to you joe and and you're welcome to send them to your listeners um, that 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 make it easy to write a letter to the editor make it easy to call out uh to your senators that we need that federal legislation so much of that federal legislation um really addresses some of the crazier aspects of the redistricting and voting rights in Texas. So there's some things that you can do there from the privacy of your own home and take you 15 minutes. Now, when it comes to actual redistricting in Texas, the next things I'm going to send you are, um, if you look up on Mobilize, Mobilize is a big
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, organizing platform that lots of us use. If you look up Mobilize All on the Line Texas, You can see that we have upcoming trainings, like I'm going to do a big 101 how redistricting works training on the 8th of May.
0: Cool.
1: Um, And I'll make sure that you get that information just so people can understand the process. Look, there's millions of new Texans and I don't know about you, I went to public school here and we didn't spend a whole lot of time on redistricting. And the reason that there's not a lot of time spent on that is because it's where all the power and the money is divvied up every 10 years, right? So we're going to have call out tools for the bills that I just mentioned once they arrive at the house. There are are small and large steps that normal folks can take um, either by, we also are setting up accountability teams across the state, particularly in areas that have seen a lot of growth. So if you're good at social media, we desperately need people to inform their communities. There are not enough reporters like yourself covering these types of issues. And so I think most of the public doesn't understand not only the power and impact these issues have upon them, but that they have agency and can do something about it. So we need folks to be conveners. We need folks to train their networks, right? Like, I want to be clear with you and your listeners. I am not the arbiter of fairness. Right. That's and neither is my organization. And when it comes to redistricting, Democrats and Republicans have not been great to the same people that always get the short end of the stick. So. Right. So I want to make sure that people know about this issue are working with members of their own community to decide what's fair. I want them to talk to their own legislators. Now I'm going to help every step of the way, but bottom line, we need those accountability teams um, to keep, to hold everybody's feet to the fairness fire, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because it's not in Texas. So often you can't just vote a bad or somebody that's not representing the values of the community anymore out. You can't vote them out.
0: In some cases, they don't live there, like in Austin. Like you said, we have five members of Congress who don't live in Austin.
1: They don't live there. My personal congressman, uh, Roger Williams, is a car dealer from who, did, who who voted against certifying the 2020 election. And Joe, you know I live in one of the most Democratic precincts in Travis County.
0: Well, we live me and you, we're in the same congressional district. We live maybe a little a mile and a half apart from each other probably. But we yep. both we leave we both live equally close to Lloyd Doggett who lives about a mile and a half from me. <laughs> right. Uh yet we are not in his district and that is absurd. So absolutely it's it's insane how that how that happens and so we definitely want to make sure that we can you know figure out these tools that we can do i mean educating people is, is, is such a big part of it because it seems so distant from the kitchen table issues that people that's talk right about but, uh,
1: i mean to be totally yeah. honest like it sets the agenda for what the legislature does so
0: and every 10 years yes yeah. that's, that's the yeah. problem in a way right <laughs> and it's every 10 years and
1: uh, um, we're trying to we will have available to the public very soon, Um, not only training uh, about the issue itself, but also different advocacy tools, including how to read a redistricting map. You hear Mm -hmm. all this language about, you know, uh, CVAP and BVAP and HVAP and contiguous. And like, there's a bunch of jargon that goes along Mm -hmm. with redistricting. And I don't want people to be afraid of that jargon. So we'll have I hope by the end of this week, beginning of next week, am a suite of training and tools that people on their own time can register and use. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got stuff you can do in person with us, but we also will have very soon for the public ways that they can educate themselves about the issue um, without having to find me on a Saturday morning doing a training, you know, on May 8th. Uh, I would always love people to come. The more, the merrier, right? I love, I love the the questions. I love people's interest. And Joe, you may not know this. I am certainly shocked about this. There are a ton of people that are interested in redistricting. I, have, I, I thought for sure it would just be me, myself, and <laughs> I um, doing this project. But that has not been the case. I mean, when the the Senate has already done redistricting hearings, right? They told us and 72 hours later there were hearings. Nobody knew about it. Democrats and Republicans did not get on TV and talk to their <laughs> talk to their uh, people and their communities about what these hearings were about. But man, like I couldn't I couldn't do enough trainings. There were hundreds of people. I probably trained close to 800 people in about, I don't know, five weeks on how to testify at a redistricting hearing. Wow,
0: you are, are, are these virtual? Yeah. Are you doing a virtual? Yeah,
1: it's, it's virtual. You are cool. not alone if you want to know more about this topic right most of us are big government nerds but you don't have to be a big government nerd um, to understand that you're getting a bad deal and the power and the money isn't going into the right places in this state everybody's bought a bad car a bad refrigerator everybody knows when they're getting a bad deal well this is the same thing so whether we use fancy language or not um People know when they're getting a bad deal, and they need to be able to stand up for themselves and and say that's enough.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because in this deal, you buy a lemon; it's you, it's yours for ten years. So, um, so I do want to ask though, because you mentioned the partisanship, it goes both ways. Now we have no idea what that looks like in Texas because it's only been one way for thirty years. But right. what does uh, your organization propose as the solution? Is it independent redistricting? council commission or what, what's how can we take the partisanship and unfairness out of the system?
1: It's a fantastic question. And, and yeah, like the gold standard of all of this would be that you take the the mapping pen out of the hands of the people that personally benefit, which are legislators and members of Congress, and you put it into the hands of an independent commission or a bipartisan commission. Look, but commissions are not a silver bullet. Um, for example, in Colorado this week, the head of their commission, <laughs> they found a, he, he just, you know, people use social media in so many weird ways. And, and he was, he, he had a bunch of social media texts talking about stopping this deal and other stuff. And so, uh, he actually was removed as the chair from that commission, but, um, moving forward and long-term, um, moving this process out of the hands of the people that benefit most from it is a wise idea. And the machinations of how we do that, although well, I can explain to you a little bit about it. So for congressional maps, all, all the legislature would have to do is pass a bill and set up, um, set up a commission. And by the way, the For the People Act demands that the, each state do that with congressional maps, another important reason to pass that bill. At all. For state house and Senate, um, it would require, you know, a constitutional amendment in Texas. So that's a, that's a tougher climb, but it's not, you know, it it may not be a goal for today, but long-term we need to let all legislators know where the power actually resides, which is with us, the people, right? Like that is the bottom line. So Long term solution Mm -hmm. um, that will require years and years of work, um, but it's worth it's worth doing so that none of us have to suffer through what we're seeing in this Texas legislature now, which is a complete and utter shambles. Right. It's bad leadership. It's bad public policy. A lot of these bills that you see being shuffled through these committees. I'm not even sure if the authors themselves have read. Are they just getting, you know, Are they just getting mimeographed copies of bills that think tanks have provided for states like Georgia, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Pennsylvania? I don't know the answer to that question, but I've watched those hearings. And I got to tell you, it doesn't look like the authors of those bills have really read those bills or spent any amount of time understanding the impact that that their legislation would have on the people that want to vote, that run elections, and that care about democracy, which I presume is everyone.
0: Yeah, I mean, care about is, uh, could go both ways, unfortunately, in this case, we see that they care about reducing uh democratic institutions but uh but that's interesting so yes so I, the more i hear about this for the people bill i mean the more obvious it is that it needs to pass and it's so unfortunate that you know we when this democrats take over the senate and we still can't pass really important if- legislation like this um because we can't get 60 votes right. and so and so here it is we have republicans in the state of texas trying to make sure that the least amount of people vote And yet they still want to hold on to their 60 votes in the Senate in order to pass anything meaningful. And so and we are it's just unbelievable how we 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 lose on both ends um, just over and over
1: again. I mean, to be totally honest, like given that we are we're trying to live and survive through a worldwide pandemic in Texas, we're trying to live. Um, with unreliable sources of energy and electricity and heat and water. Um, what's top of mind for me as a Texan is is ensuring that the state recovers um, from the top of the grass to the grassroots. People are suffering. And what I don't get about any of this is while they're carrying on with this anti-democratic, I don't know, sideshow um you know why would you want to move your business here if your employees can't get to work they're going to be sick when they get there and you don't know if the electricity is going to come on to make your widgets or whatever you came here whatever you came here to do we are trying to compete in a global economy and the texas legislature seems to be stuck somewhere between the 19th and 20th century as far as public policy goes because Look, we need to find the cure for cancer. We need to move off of carbon. We need to use the technology we have to make it easier to be in a democracy, not harder. All of these things are really difficult to tackle and will require a lot of thought, compromise, planning, and work. And yet all we can do, in fact, I was watching the Senate on the floor Um, from my computer at home, and the first Bill Lois cold course talked about is singing the national anthem at sports events. Well, my God, if your patriotism is so thin that you need to go to the sports event to sing a song to remind yourself that you're an American, I'm not sure if you've got much patriotism in you.
0: It does seem a little weird that you have to mandate by law to sing patriotism that that kind of like that's that's kind of the oxymoron of patriotism. If you're forced to do it, then it's not really patriotic.
1: Right. And it's just sort of weird Christian nationalism. (laughs)
0: It's, it is very weird. I mean, it's definitely something that like, you know, dictators do. Um, But I mean, if we are, if they're taking their cues from Trump, he certainly has has been very fond of that type of, you know, those type of folks. So um, not, not super surprising. Um, But yeah, I do want to say thanks again for for coming on and and talking to us. I really think that we should almost do this every couple months, uh, because things are going to change and there'll be new information um and as you say you know we'll get the apportionment that'll be a big deal so hopefully you know look forward to getting some information to you that we could push out to our listeners about um you know about what that's going to look like and then the next steps as this goes on um so i want to let people know they can go to all forward slash texas um you guys are on social media you have your own uh texas version of your um Uh, social media handles. Okay.
1: Yep, we do. And let me, um, let me get them for you real quick. Um,
0: Yeah, the Texas, um, you, yeah, it's all on the line, twitter.com forward slash all on the line is the, I guess the national org.
1: That's right. But it's just underscore Texas for the and then
0: underscore Texas. And
1: then I would just encourage everybody, if you really want to get involved, go to mobilize all on the line, Texas. And that's going to tell you kind of Everything we're doing and, and we have some of the advocacy tools online, so they're easier to get to for folks. So mobilize all on the line slash Texas, you ought to be able to get to us and I look I I care about this issue so much that I don't do campaigns anymore because I was just tired of going to the same districts and finding wonderful candidates and getting them fully funded and seeing them do just as poorly. Um, as people that did nothing but sign up to run. So I, my, I, let me give people my email address. You are more than w- welcome to contact me. I'm available to do bar mitzvahs, graduations. I'll train <laughs> anywhere. I'll teach anybody about how to advocate for this. My uh, email address is Van Cleave. That's V as in Victor, A-N-C as in Christmas, L-E, V as in Victor, E, Van Cleave, at ready for this redistrictingaction.org, it's long, it's complicated, much <laughs> like the issue that I work on, but I'm trying to make it cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, good job. <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, we we'll appreciate it, and um, it is. I mean, I've been, I've been. It's just one of those things. It does seem super nerdy because it, it's very weedy, it's complex, but there's a lot of money, power involved, and everything else, as you mentioned, is on the line. If you care about uh, access to health care, if you care about voting rights, if you care about I mean, really anything and everything is dictated by the people who are elected and pass this policy initiatives. And if we can't elect good people, because they aren't there to represent, uh, they don't represent the community. They don't feel that they have to. You know, this is the foundation of our democracy. Are these lines? And, and
1: Joe, here's what I would say, sort of in closing. Look, um, this is a symptom, but but when you see the bills that we have seen this cycle um, for voting, for the courts redistricting bills, and and for the redistricting process to come, the, the fundamentals are broken. And what I know about Um, what I know about that is that you can't win a basketball game if you don't have the fundamentals, right? You can't win a team sport if your fundamentals aren't solid. You can't win a campaign if your fundamentals aren't solid. Well, you can't run a democracy if the fundamentals aren't solid. So we have got to work on these democracy issues. It doesn't matter whether you're a climate change person or a repro rights person or a broadband person, all issues come back to these democracy issues. Once we get these right, we can hash out the rest of it. But until people can vote and vote for the people of their choice, we can't move forward like we'd like to.
0: Agreed. Totally. Well, thanks again, Genevieve. Keep up the good fight. We know you will. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll we'll see you back back out in the field soon.